Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Ryan Stacy and welcome to the Hockey Minds Podcast. This podcast is powered by Instat, the leader in video and data analysis. Instat Hockey supports all levels of our game worldwide with video breakdowns and or scouting services. For more information, visit Instat on the web at instatsport.com or on Twitter at Instat Hockey. Today I'm joined by James Kennedy, Alliance Scout with OHL Central Scouting. While not part of a traditional team, James brings knowledge on the minor hockey system and implements a lot of great ideas in the scouting process. In conclusion, he has a great story, and it is one that I am happy to share on the podcast today. And now, here is James Kennedy, Alliance Scout with OHL Central Scouting. Today we're joined by James Kennedy, Alliance Scout with OHL Central Scouting. James, thanks for joining the podcast. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Yeah, it's great to have you on. And um, as with everybody that I've kind of dealt with in the last little while, I know there's a lot of moving parts and especially in the off season and with the season uh, slowly creeping up, there's a lot of, uh, you know, everybody's schedule is kind of different, but I appreciate you taking some time. And I think there's a lot of great insight to learn from your career thus far. So let's get right into it. Sounds uh, good. How about you tell us a little bit about yourself, including where you grew up and speak to your involvement in hockey and other sports throughout your youth. Okay, well, I grew up in uh, Tilsmer, Ontario, a small town, sort of southwestern Ontario-ish, about 13,000 people. Started, uh, actually, my first year ever involved in any sport was doing a bit of figure skating. When I was four years old, my parents put me into that to help my skating, I guess you can say. Um, And then after that, I I played minor hockey uh, from basically five years old all the way up till I was about uh, 17, 18 years old. Um, Was never... uh, skilled enough or good enough you could say to play at a high level I played mostly house league um, but I still enjoyed it and I know the one thing maybe this kind of relates into why I'm doing this now or involved in hockey now is my parents always said that I, I was always so maybe the smartest guy on the ice I always knew where I needed to be I just didn't have the I guess the feet or the skills to keep up with the with my mind but um, loved playing it loved uh, growing up in a small town and then my last year, actually, I, I'm, a, I'm a Montreal Canadiens fan, um, and I grew up idolizing Patrick Waugh. So that, that should uh, date me, I guess, in my age. But anyways, my last year in hockey, I, I decided to play goalie. And I had never played net before, um, but it was something that I always wanted to try. And, and I had a great year, and we ended up winning uh, all Ontarios that year for, for House League. Um, so it was a lot of fun. Um, and then in the offseason, um, I was always a two-sport uh, type of player, my brother and I. Uh, it was all hockey from basically September until, you know, usually March. And then April on, it was, it was baseball. And I played actually uh, baseball at a higher level. I played some competitive ball. Um, I'm a lefty, so I'm left-handed, so that kind of helped me. Um, but I did that all the way up until I was, you know, 
17, 18 years old as well. So um, basically it was, it was hockey in the winter and it was baseball in the summer. Yeah, that's, that's a great. And, you know, a lot of people that I've had on here always talk about being multi-sport athletes, obviously baseball and hockey, maybe just, you know, the alternate seasons always, um, you know, kind of come into the conversation. Uh, yes. Figure skating is an interesting one. I don't think I've had anybody on here yet or, <laughs> or, you know, some people um, maybe just trying to hide it. I think that's a great way and it definitely uh, helps with the skating and, uh, you know, there's a lot of things you can take from the different sports, but I think one very interesting part is you talked about the goalie switch. Um, I'm sure a lot of people have always thought about that opportunity yeah. for one year before it's all said and done to try. Uh, I think I did it in a beer league game for, for a day. And then I realized, you know, it, it wasn't for me, but um, it's definitely um, an interesting perspective. And it's, it's great to hear that you uh, had some good experiences playing youth hockey. Yeah. And you know what, looking back on it now that year, funny enough, uh, my brother and my dad and I, my dad was playing in like a, a men's pickup league Friday nights. So my brother and I would go out and play with them. So, I mean, that's a pretty uh, great memory that the, that the three of us have is, is going out and playing hockey with each other. And I was playing net and we're playing against all men. And I was about 17 at the time. So again, it was, it was a lot of fun. It was something that, you know, my dad wasn't too keen on me doing <laughs> for one of my final years in hockey, but uh, you know what? It was a lot of fun. It was a great experience. Yeah, definitely. Um, so speaking of other experiences, you went and attended, uh, you know, college university and enrolled in journalism program. Talk about the program that you attended and your time there, and then maybe the possible connection to potentially wanting to work in sports down the road. Sure. Yeah. Well, I went up, um, actually my first week in school, I took broadcast journalism at Fanshawe and my first week there was uh, September 11th, 2001. And, uh, it was quite an ordeal because you know, the, the program there is a great program. They basically put you in the seat of a journalist. And the first year you're doing a lot of in-class and doing a lot of teaching, but you're also doing a lot of shadowing with the second year students. And by second year, you're really just running a radio station. Uh, here in London area, it's 106.9, 6XFM. Uh, so, you know, that experience and, and why I did it is I wanted to get involved. I wanted to be a guy in TSN or Sportsnet and, and be a hockey writer or a hockey insider. And that's sort of why I took the program and I had a great time doing it. Um, while I was there, it, uh, I got to follow the junior night, sorry, the London Knights and uh, during their playoff year of 2003. So I was at every game going down in between uh, after the games, getting interviews with players and doing all those things and kind of getting to hang around and, and the dressing room and things like that. You get to learn so much and watching a lot of those OHL games, you get to learn so much about the game. So that really piqued my interest in getting involved in, you know, the scouting and the coaching and all those things. So really that was probably the start. Um, and then I actually went back and took some public relations courses through Fanshawe as well as, and then some broadcast television too. So um, I was there for a total of four years, uh, great experience, but it kind of got me really started into to where I'm at now. Yeah, definitely. There's always little connections that you can make through different programs and um, as I talked about on the podcast before, I did sport management, but I've had people come on and talk about education and history and, and all these different backgrounds. And a lot of times, you know, sometimes they're connected to sport, like you said, doing the journalism, being able to interview the players and, and stuff in London. But, um, you know, it's always good to have an ultimate plan because, you know, hockey is a cutthroat industry. But at the same time, Definitely. like you said, going into journalism, you still had that desire to stay in hockey. And, and here you are. Um, you know, maybe more into the game now uh, on the player's side. So early in your career, you got into coaching and started working on that side of hockey. What was yes. your first position as a coach? And talk about that first year in a coaching capacity. So really, it started, I did an internship with the London Knights. It was sort of a marketing uh, business type of internship. 
and it was the year after they won the Memorial Cup. So I started that summer. Um, I think they had just won the Memorial Cup. I went in there, uh, did that for a year and a half, and through that, I met uh, John Simmons, who was the general manager of the Junior B team, the London Nationals at the time. So the following year, I went and helped out the Junior B team a bit. And through that, I met uh, Chuck Dufton, who was the Junior Knights uh, Major Midget Program head coach, and he had run that program for three or four years at the time. I actually interviewed for an assistant coaching job with him. Um, he found someone who had more experience. And through that, uh, I met with um, Dave Partridge. Um, and I actually, my first year coaching, ever coaching, was minor midget AAA. <laughs> wow. so, so talk about getting, uh, getting thrown right to the fire. And on top of that, it was only Dave and I. There's only two coaches. It was with the 92 age group. Um, some familiar faces would be Colin McDonald, Reed McNeil, um, Aaron Darch. Um, so, you know, we had a pretty good team, but, you know, again, I had never coached before in my life. I had zero experience. And a lot of that year was really me just kind of sitting back and learning. And I ran the defense uh, core on that team. And I did, I got to do, you know, I got to run the bench how I wanted during games. I ran some drills during practice, but for the majority of it, uh, Dave was kind of the guy in charge and that was basically his personality. But I felt very fortunate that he gave me the opportunity. Um, someone had no experience. And, and the one thing that kind of stuck out for me and where I kind of gained some confidence was, was during that hockey and tryouts, you do tryouts in the spring like we do now, but you were able to hold off on two or three um, picks. So you're allowed, allowed to pick your last two or three players in the fall. And so we had two spots left open there. There were some tryouts for double A and, you know, Dave and I went to the rink and he said to me, and, you know, I want you to pick the two best players who you think they are. And then, so I went and, I tried to stand beside him. He's like, no, no, no. He goes stand somewhere else. We're not going to talk about this. You're going to give me a list of two names after. And the list of two names were the ones that we ended up taking, the two players that we ended up taking. So I felt, you know, at that point, I was like, you know, yeah, I, I think I do know, you know, what I'm talking about a bit. And, and I had some confidence going into the year. So that really helped. But it was a lot of fun. It was, it was a great experience that year. We ended up losing in the semifinals. Um, and at that time, uh, the Alliance only had two teams go to the OHL Cup. It was the two finalists. So, unfortunately, we didn't make it to the OHL Cup. But still, um, again, a great first year. Definitely. And the experience to jump into AAA minor midget, uh, you know, in your first year coaching, uh, there's not a lot of people that get that opportunity. And, no. and like you said, um, you know, having a little bit of room as well to kind of do your own thing. And, and you touched on the the AA picks, the two players you had to pick up. And um, while – as you mentioned, you were kind of maybe on the back seat, um, you know, not running the dr drills most of the time. And, and, you know, that's, that's maybe just the personality that you were um, coaching with. You still had a little bit of room there and, and it was probably good to have it that way in your first year. So you touched on the London junior Knights and you also spent some time with the Elgin Middlesex chiefs over the next uh, few years coaching, um, but different multiple age groups. Uh, touch on those organizations and your experience coaching players at that level during that time. Yeah. So, you know, really after my first year I went on and I was an assistant coach for the next four years and I worked with um, Dave Robinson and we coached, you know, the 94 team and we ended up going and losing in the finals at the OHFs that year. Uh, and then I worked with the 96 age group. Um, so players I had, you know, Spencer Watson, Brett Seney were two of the guys that we coached and we always uh, we coached against Jared McCann, who was with Elgin at that time. And again, I was an assistant coach. And, you know, to be honest with you, I was, I was always a little timid at first. My first few years coaching, with, you know, with regards to running drills and things, I was like, oh, geez, I don't want to mess up this drill in front of the kids. And I look like a, look like a fool, right? So, but like, again, through those years and, and, you know, the good thing about, or I guess I should say, 
the great experience that I had is I always worked with really good people. I was very fortunate to work with great guys, you know, great head coach and great assistant coaches while I was still an assistant coach that taught me so much about the game. So after, you know, being an assistant um, the, on the junior night still was uh, Adam, double A. And I remember going in for my, my coaching meeting and, and thinking, you know, I'm, I should be coaching, you know, a minor midget team as a head coach, triple A team, or I should be coaching a Bantam team. And, you know, pretty much halfway through that conversation, they told me, no, <laughs> that wasn't going to happen. Um, and then I left thinking, you know what, I just, I should take whatever I'm given and, and go from there. And I did. And, you know, I had a great experience with the 01 AA group. And then from there on, I went and uh, for the next three years, I got to coach the AAA 01 team. And I was a great team. We had, we had so much success, you know, Ryan Suzuki, Mason Millman, Aiden Pruder, Jeffrey Burridge, just to name a few players that have gone, Mason uh, Howard, that have gone on and, and played in the uh, OHL now and a couple of them drafted. Um, you know, that was a great experience because we ended up winning uh, in Major Peewee, the uh, Ontario Winter Games, gold medal game in overtime. And then we won the OHF that year, the first Alliance team to do that. And then I stuck with them again through uh, minor Bantam. And then after that, um, I really wanted to coach minor midget. I knew, uh, you know, being a head coach for three years, I knew it was time to, to, to move on and to step up. And Elgin had a position uh, open for me to coach the 2000 age group. Um, so we did that and, and you learn quickly, um, you know, things change once they get to minor midget, there's a lot more, uh, player movement in between associations. Uh, it's taken, it's very serious hockey, you know, parents are, you know, they're not, I wouldn't say they're more involved, uh, but they're, they're, I think you're seeing that they've invested so much in their kids at this point, they want to see some results. So I went on and coached uh, the 2000 Elkin team. And then my last year, um, I coached the 01 um, Elgin team too. So it was, it was funny. I came full circle. I had coached the 01s and, and um, with the Dunlinger Knights for three years. And then I was moving on to coaching the Elgin team. And, you know, we, we had a good season there. We had some really good players. Um, you know, we, we beat some teams that they had never beaten before. Uh, we got, you know, the furthest in the tournament that they've ever had gotten in, in the semifinals. Um, the team had never been invited at the Silver Stick. So there's a lot of things that we did accomplish that year. So, you know, it was a it was a great experience for me um, for you know spending two years in minor midget as a head coach. Definitely, and I think anytime you can coach at that level, um, you know, a lot of people talk about how it's almost like a professional atmosphere. It is uh, yeah. just with so many eyes on you, and they talk about the play or the parent involvement, and then you have uh, agents and and different teams in OHL and and universities and colleges. You know, the the number of hands in the pot are is you know it takes you back sometimes. So. Anytime you can be successful as you were and, and able to interact with so many players at that level, it's, um, it's a good opportunity. And obviously, you had some great um, success during your time with those organizations. Others who have spent time at the AHL level in a coaching capacity have discussed how, you know, coaching at that level often involves being present to deal with things that occur off the ice. Touch on some of those aspects that you must focus on as a coach and occur outside of the immediate game, especially at the AAA and minor midget level. Yeah, so I mean, the minor midget level, it's, again, parents are and, and kids are investing so much. And, you know, I, I always would say in my parent meeting before the beginning of the year is, is I've got so much respect for these kids coming in because they're missing out on social gatherings and birthdays and family events. And, and you know, coaches are too, but, you know, these kids are, you know, at the time, you know, 14, 15, 16 years old. Um, so it's just managing all those activities outside of hockey. It's, you know, there's, there's always the big debate of, you know, should you be letting kids play high school hockey? Um, should you be letting them play other sports like football? And, and what if injuries happen um, when they are playing those other sports, you know? And, and in my first year coaching, we had a big issue with it. You know, we had some kids that went off and 
the coach at the time, Dave, had said no high school hockey and, and a few kids. What happened, the story was, is we went down to Sun County, which, you know, it's in Windsor. It's a two and a half hour drive, two hour drive from London. And three or four of the kids had played some high school hockey and it was a playoff game and we ended up losing that game. So there's a lot of parents, the parents that were more upset were the ones who didn't have kids that went and played high school hockey. And they were upset because they could see that those other kids were exhausted and couldn't keep up. Um, so unfortunately we had to have meetings and ban all other activities outside of hockey for the playoffs. And, um, you know, but to go back to your question is it's just managing, you know, that. And then on top of that, you know, these kids expectations, parents expectations. Um, so it can be uh, quite difficult at time. But again, the one thing that I always kind of learned and the one thing I always kind of did was keep an, an open a communication with all parents and kids throughout the year and, and try to give them as much information as possible. Um, you know, we would always go to OHL clubs and they would offer to, us to come in and they'd you know, give us a tour and we ran a practice, the Flint team ran us a practice with the O1s and, you know, they would have parent meetings with some of the brass, um, like George Barnett met with the O1 parents in, in Flint when he was still the general manager and they would ask questions. So again, information is power and it's key, especially during this year. Um, but as you said, there, there's a lot of things going on outside of these, these kids' lives that, uh, that sort of do come into play when it comes to hockey at that level. Definitely. And, you know, continuing on that topic, uh, maybe just to dive a into it a little more specifically. Sure. Uh, you know, at the minor midget level, you have that draft and you touched on the OHL teams being uh, around and, and having some influence and obviously um, there's opportunities to talk with players, et cetera. Uh, talk about preparing for that year as a coach and then, you know, working to keep players humble and focused um, with so many outside influences specifically during that year. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, most hockey AAA years sort of start in July with practices and, and whatnot. You're running a practice maybe once a week. I always had a booklet that I, I sort of did up for, for both teams when I worked or when I was coaching them a minor midget. And, uh, you know, I'd have our sort of our systems outlaid and, and rules and expectations and those things. And the expectations I always had, you know, one to 10, I usually try to come up with 10 different expectations. And I wanted to make sure we could meet all those. So I wasn't trying to put the bar too high, but then you're also not trying to wanting to put it too low for them. Right. Um, and there's, you know, there's a lot of communication with parents and with these players, even before the season starts, you know, you're trying to meet with them individually as we start having practices and you want to meet with the parent as well. And, you know, not every player is the same. Every player is going to have a different responsibility, different role at that level. Um, so you want to sort of give them what your expectation is of them through the season. And then you want to ask them what they expect from you. And you want the parent to ask you what they expect from you too as well. And so then you're getting a good communication going back and forth between player, parent, and coach, I felt. And then sort of, you know, the season starts and then you go from there. Um, Another thing, too, is, you know, in my coaching philosophy, it was, you know, the, the Titans tournament, the Toronto Titans tournament at the beginning of the year is a great one because I would always allow every kid power play time, usually up to about November is when you sort of cut it back and you start really getting into more of your systems and who can play and what role not. And then, so you're always giving these kids opportunities. You know, you're giving them opportunities to succeed and sometimes maybe they don't succeed, right? But then you sort of give them another role. You know, the, the kids that weren't playing on the power play for me, especially my two years in Elgin, were either playing on the power play or the penalty kill. And you try to find those roles for them, right? So that's more of coaching philosophy, I guess you can say. But, you know, it's a lot of communication. I think communication is key, especially in coaching. And, you know, I, I didn't have any problems meeting with parents or, or taking phone calls or emails or things along those lines because I understand that, you know, it's their child. They're invested in their child. They want to see what, you know, the best for their child. And 
I wanted to do the best for my team. Yeah, that's a great way to approach it. And and as you said, at that age and, and in that year, um, there's so many different parts that you just have to kind of say, take a step back and say, okay, you know, reevaluate. Uh, don't put too much emotion into things. Like you said, with the, the Titans tournament, kind of give everybody a, an equal opportunity at the beginning and, and see who those power play players are and then see, okay, if that's not for you, what role can we kind of get you in and Definitely. focus on our development that way. So that's a great approach. Um, another interesting aspect of coaching at that level, especially is when the coach learns from the players. Uh, looking back, what is one or two lessons that you feel you learned from the players while you were in a coaching capacity? The one is actually, you know, you could almost use this as a life lesson. We had a kid or player, a young man um, with the 01 team, the London 01 team, uh, when I was with him from minor peewee to, to minor bantam, uh, Brandon Barnett was his name. He's a really good, steady, stay-at-home type of defenseman that could add a little bit of offense here and there. Um, but during our, our major peewee year, about halfway through, we were at the Silver Stick Finals. We ended up getting to the finals, and, and unfortunately, he became sick. And from that time on, for almost another year, nobody really knew what was going on with him or why he was sick. He was losing weight, he had stomach issues. I, know I won't go into too much detail, but um, we find out they ended up having Lyme disease. Lyme disease, sorry. And um, he's never played hockey again. And, you know, it's affected his school. Like he's had to be homeschooled now. His parents have spent tens of thousands of dollars, if not more, on sending him over to different countries for, for medical treatments. So, you know, you see something like that and, you know, you're watching, you're coaching this child and he's happy and he's on the ice and he's playing competitive hockey. And then it's just, you know, just like that, it's gone. It's taken away from him. And not just only him, his family. And so, you know, for me, that life lesson is, is, you know, try to stay positive and, and try to enjoy every moment or every minute that you have and, and, and do the best you can. And, you know, again, that for me is, is a life lesson because it's, it's hard. And another uh, incident that happened when I was coaching the 2000 team in Elgin, um, the week before we started playoffs, I found out that uh, Jake Murray had cancer. And um, again, that's, that was tough to take. Again, I, I only coached Jake for the one year but you're with a player so much throughout the course of years as a coach, you know, two practices a week, two or three games a week, you know, four or five, sometimes six tournaments. Um, and you see so much of these kids. And then to find out when your players has an illness such as that, it's, it, it's pretty tough. And it really, really puts things into perspective. And, you know, I'm, I'm the type of person that, you know, first thing you, you want to do when you get up in the morning is, is be thankful that you're alive and healthy and well, and, and sort of get on your, with your day. So, you know, having those two things sort of happen, you know, while I was coaching, you know, really, you know, change my, you know, attitude on, on, you know, so much life a bit, right. Just, just being a happy, positive type of person and, and taking things the way they go and, and uh, trying to do the best you can. Exactly. And, you know, you touched on those two players, obviously going through, um, you know, very difficult situations and you hope that they, uh, you know, they, are good moving forward and things like that. But Definitely. like you said, it really puts you things into perspective and um, you know, every game or every moment that you're involved in hockey and in other things that you enjoy doing, uh, you should be thankful for that opportunity. So that's, uh, that's definitely a major life lesson to learn. And uh, sure. that's one that I'm sure a lot of people, um, you know, if you aren't in a situation where you experience something that close to you, uh, you know, take it from others who have, it's a, it's a key lesson that you should take in everything you do. Exactly. Uh, so now you have an opportunity with OHL Central Scouting to work as an Alliance Scout. How did you find yourself in that position and speak to the task of scouting with OHL primarily in the Alliance region? 
Yeah, so I was, um, it was the summer before I started with the 01 Elk and Team and Minor Midget. Um, so that's going back to 2016 and, or sorry, 15, 16, and uh, just getting ready to, to start the season. And I just randomly uh, emailed my boss, Daryl Woodley, and said, um, you know, I've been with this age group, the 01 age group for many years. I know it, you know, inside and out. Um, if you have any positions opening or you need anything, you know, please let me know. He got back to me because I, I had sent him an email and sent him my hockey resume. Um, he got back to me within, I think it was about an hour or so and said, you know, at this time, we don't have any positions open, but thanks. We'll keep your resume on file. And then about a week before the Titans tournament, I got back from lunch at work and I just had an email from him asking if we wanted to meet about, about an open position at the Titans tournament. So definitely I said, yeah. So we went in and, and we met and had a good conversation and uh, I was offered the position and, um, you know, the rest, I guess, is history. Um, you know, I really enjoy my position. I think it's a great position. And, and the one thing that, you know, I get to do um, that maybe some other scouts with teams don't get to do is I, I talk to all GMs and I get to all scouts talking to me, ask me questions, phone calls. And, and that's because I'm not obviously associated with, with one team. I'm associated with all 20 teams, right? And that's kind of what we are at Central Scouting. We, we work for all 20 teams. We're an extra set of eyes, ears. Um, we write reports, we, we rank the players, and then we list the players on how we feel they are. So um, it's kind of a different position from, from everybody else's, but I've made uh, you know, so many friends and have, have learned so much through the years of doing this. I, I feel pretty, uh, pretty lucky to have the position, but it's, it's one that obviously I work hard at and continue to do so. Yeah, for sure. And I think that was, um, you know, that was one thing I was very interested in, obviously, as I work for an OHL team, um, you know, as with that position or even like a scouting service or something like that, it's it's a very different approach. And yes. um, you're fortunate to be able to talk to everybody and kind of evaluate based on exactly what you see at that moment. Um, maybe with OHL teams is a little bit different, but that's definitely an interesting aspect to take from it. Uh, one other thing that is in, I'm interested in, um, as many people at the junior level, um, look at they always want to progress in hockey there's always a desire if it's op if an opportunity is there to move on or even get promoted within an organization etc uh, looking 10 years down the road for yourself uh, where do you hope to be in hockey operations is it scouting is it another area of hockey operations coaching yeah the one thing I've always said to myself is I would never turn down any opportunity to listen or, or, or to see where maybe things may go. Um, where I'd see myself, I think a lot of us would, would love to be working for an NHL team. Um, you know, the one thing that's gotten me really and, and, and why I've really got into scouting and, and things like that is I really enjoyed uh, during my time coaching was picking a team. I enjoyed the process of watching the players and evaluating and kind of seeing where this person may fit and that may, person may fit. And so, you know, definitely I could see myself moving into that type of role maybe in the future. Um, you know, the one thing about me is, is I love to learn something new every time I go to the rink and I'm still learning now, you know, this would be my fifth year, uh, OHL central scouting. Um, and I continue, and I still want to learn and, and hone on my skills. And, and that's, again, the great thing going back to the question before is, is I get to talk to all these different GMs and, and other scouts like yourself. And, and I like to pick people's brains and, you know, if, if I can go to a rink, uh, watch a minor midget game and then, you know, walk out of it and say, I've learned something today. To me, that's a big positive. So, you know, the answer to your question is love to be working in the NHL. Um, you know, I know it's, it's not the easiest uh, to get into, but you know what? I, I believe in perseverance and, and hard work and continuing to, you know, be a good person and, and continue to, you know, build on relationships. And, 
you know, that's another thing too, is I think these podcasts are great. You know, they're great to listen to. You, you get to learn something from other people that are, you know, some, sometimes in the, your same type of experience or people that have gone down different paths. Um, I think it's Jack Han or Han, uh, I apologize for the name, but, you know, he runs a, a number of great little different videos and articles uh, through Twitter. And, and to me, you know, I love reading that type of stuff and I love watching different podcasts and things along those lines. But, you know, 10 years from now, I mean, it'll be interesting to see where I'm at uh, looking back on it now, but uh, I'm, I'm enjoying the journey right now and I love the game and want to continue to, to improve on my skills. Yeah, that's a, that's a great way to look at it. You touched on the, uh, the fact that you kind of listen to every opportunity and then are willing to just jump into whatever comes your way and, and kind of let it play by air. But it's good to be open like that and, and take every opportunity because sometimes you only come once. And I'm sure that in 10 years time, uh, we'll reconnect here and, and there'll be a, uh, it'll be interesting to see where you're to at that point in time. Uh, just before we kind of get into the reflective stage, uh, you've obviously in a scouting role now, and in the past you were in a coaching position. Uh, do you feel there that your scouting abilities are better because of your coaching, or, or do you think there's a like a strong correlation between your abilities uh, in scouting because of uh, your coaching ability beforehand? I, I think I've learned so much about the game through coaching and, you know, funny story, well, maybe not a funny story, but uh, after my first year of coaching with the minor midget team, uh, the 92 age group in London, I reached out and sent, I don't know how many general managers in the OHL emails. And the one, there was a few that got back to me, but the one really stuck out and it was Jeff Tui. And I don't recall what team he was with at the time. Um, but he just said to me, cause I asked him for advice and I said, I want to get into scaling. I want to get into hockey operations. And he said, coach, he goes, there's no better way that, and this is his opinion, there's no better way to learn the game than from being like at, at eye level and learning from the players and learning from other coaches and learning from just coaching the game and being involved. And, and for me and for my path, I mean, that's definitely helped me, you know, and, and I like, you know, I like to think that, you know, way back when I started coaching, I knew a lot, but you don't realize how much you learn by actually doing it. And then even just going from being an assistant coach and, you know, the pressures of being a head coach and learning, preparing and scouting. And, you know, when I was coaching the one team, I had a great assistant coach named Brendan Heffernan and we were always at the rink and we were always scouting. And it was, you know, both of us always pushing each other, you know, let's find out what this team's doing. Let's find out what that team's doing. And again, at the time, you know, you don't realize it, but you're essentially you're scouting and, you know, and you're learning from other coaches too, as well. You know, I'm learning from him and he's learning from me. And, um, so you know what, I, for my for my experience and the way I've learned, um, I think the coaching has, has really helped me develop my skills as a scout and will help me even further. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people think the same way, and that's the answer I was expecting, but I was curious to hear your perspective and uh, yeah. and how you felt this grow in your own abilities. And for those who haven't spoken with Jeff before, I was lucky enough to do an interview uh, not too long ago with him. He's a a great hockey mind and very open and always willing to share his thoughts and opinions. So I encourage anybody to, um, you know, if you have the opportunity to talk with him or just um, have a quick chat in the rink, wherever he may be uh, to do that. Uh, on a topic of learning and obviously you touched on Jack Han and, and that ability to uh, read some of his work and Jeff is another person that you were able to talk to. Um, what are some of your favorite resources that you've, looked at over the years, whether it be books, webinars, et cetera, that you feel have really uh, enhanced your learning or something that you continually uh, get something new out of? Yeah. You know, through this pandemic over the last you know, four or five months now, I, I think is like I touched on before, the hockey podcasts have been great. 
um, you know, like guys like Jock, Jack Han and, and uh, Ryan Hardy did a number of them too as well. And those are great learning tools and opportunities uh, for people like myself that, you know, continue to want to get better at, at, their, um, at their craft. Um, books, I just finished up reading uh, Bobby Orr's My Story. And what I really liked about that book was how he handled the whole situation with Alan Eagleson and he lost all his money. And, you know, even throughout the book, he could just sit there. And I mean, people are going to listen to Bobby Orr, but he doesn't bash him. He doesn't, you know, he just basically says, I don't respect the man. I don't really like the man anymore. Um, but he got on with his life. And you know what? He made, you know, he turned a negative into a positive by starting his own group, the Orr Group, and helping young hockey players out. So, you know, that book for me is, is, is a really good, you know, opportunity to learn something from someone who is as great as Bobby Orr and see how he took the path of, you know, losing everything basically, you know, aside from his health too, right? Not being able to play at the age of 30 um, and then turning it into something very positive like, like the Orr Group. Um, you know, that's, that's one of the things, you know, books like that are, are ones that really interest me. Um, and then, like I said, the, the Twitter is a great tool because you, you got so many other hockey minds on there. Some people talking and communicating. Um, but aside from that is just, you know, talking to people, you know, picking other scouts brains and, you know, luckily enough last year in the playoffs, I was able to carpool with a few different scouts on a few different uh, occasions. And, you know, I'm sure, you know, they're asking me lots of questions and I'm asking them a lot of questions. And, you know, again, I'll go back to the point is I love to, to leave the arena and have learned something new, be it terminology, you know, um, or a way another scout may look at a player. Um, you know, so those are things that I always look to do to improve. Definitely. So many different ways to learn and, and definitely with this COVID uh, situation yes. that we face, there's even more opportunities. And uh, I'm sure that I can speak for many people that I'm grateful that others have, um, you know, taken that extra effort to make the webinars or, or share their thoughts and ideas and, and other people have done podcasts, um, which kind of inspired what I do here today. Um, as with any form of progression, mentors play a key role in helping you grow. Who are some of the key mentors who have helped you thus far in your career? Um, you know, obviously parents are there. Uh, my brother, um, who's no longer with us, unfortunately, he was, he was, you know, obviously one of my biggest fans and I was lucky to have him. And I still remember we were at the, uh, the OHFs and we were in the final game. We blew a two nothing, or sorry, two goal lead and we had a break. And I remember it was my brother was, I was texting back and forth with, and he was, you know, stay positive, stay positive, try this and try that. Cause he was watching it at home through, uh, through hockey TV. So obviously family is one, but you know what, the, the two guys that I was assistant coaches with uh, my first few years in hockey, Dave Partridge, again, unfortunately, he's no longer with us. I learned a lot from him. Um, I learned some good things and some bad things. And then Dave Robinson was another uh, coach that I, I worked with for three years. And my going into working my third year with Dave, I was actually offered a head coaching position, but I wanted to stay with Dave because I'm like, you know, what a, what a great teacher. And funny enough, and in his professional life, he's a teacher, but he was teaching me so many good things. And then as well as, you know, like, like I mentioned before, uh, Brendan Heffernan, who's, geez, I want to age myself too much, but I think he's about, you know, 13, 14 years younger than me. But Brendan, I played at a pretty high level, uh, you know, all different types of junior hockey, but, you know, having him onto my staff and I'm learning from him and he's learning from me. Um, but those are people really that, you know, kind of affected my life uh, with regards to hockey uh, throughout the years. Definitely. And building on that, um, what are some of the major lessons that you've learned to date through hockey and through these mentors and just overall experiences that you've been involved in? You know what? One is just, just be a good person, be a good person. And, you know, you, you've got to, you've got to give respect to before you earn respect. And, and that's one of the things that, you know, I used to always tell my players, um, be honest, 
you know, you, you always hear, and I think it was, I think it was Sean the Fortune during your podcast that talked about, you know, if you like a player or if you don't like a player, be upfront and honest about it. Don't be one of those guys that just agrees with whatever the GM or the head scout is. And, and that goes for me too, you know, when I write my reports and, you know, working with OHL Central Scouting, Daryl Woodley's a great boss for that. And, you know, I, I remember my first year and we, we meet in November around November-ish during the Silver Stick to do our first list. And I remember, you know, he asked about a player and I was like, I just don't like him. <laughs> and he's like, well, you kind of got to give me more than that. Tell me why you don't like him. And so you go in depth, but I mean, he, he would, he called me out on my, you know, my, my lack of answer, I guess you could say. <laughs> but for me, that was a great learning experience. Right. And, and so I, so next time I went to the meeting, I made sure if I didn't like a player, I liked the player. I had some reasoning and, and, and some backing as to why. So, um, yeah, I mean, like, I've been lucky enough to do this now for, for four or five years. And, and again, I continue to talk about it. it's, it's always about learning um, and, and continuing to grow myself as, as a scout. Yeah. The continual learning and that you get through experiences, like you said, being called out uh, yeah. on the draft table. That's uh, that's an interesting one. And I'm sure uh, thinking back, I can have similar uh, experiences that I can kind of think of now that we're talking about it, but um, you know, anytime that you can get in and have those conversations and with those key people and, and be thrown in a situation that is, you know, new to you or foreign to you and, and maybe makes you feel uncomfortable at first, uh, it's an opportunity to get something new. And eventually when you come back the second time, uh, you know, it won't be uncomfortable and, and you'll be ready for that opportunity. So it was great to hear that you had great mentors and, um, you know, your family being one of the major ones and then also having a number of key lessons learned throughout your career. Uh, as a final question, I always am interested in hearing people's perspective on this. Uh, if you could give one final piece of advice to maybe someone who's looking to enter coaching and scouting, or maybe even to yourself, uh, just before you went into journalism, uh, to hope, you know, one day be in the position that you're in, what is one piece of advice that you would give them that you would hope that would stick with them? Uh, you know, just show up, be positive and, and work hard. Really, that, that, that's what it takes. I mean, you know, for those of, that have never been involved in coaching, I mean, it can be, you know, a season can be a grind. Again, you're, you know, you're at the rink, geez, two or three times a week just for practice and then two or three times for games, you know, sometimes, you know, four or five tournaments. That year with the 01 group in Major Peewee, I think we played close to 90 games. And that doesn't even start to, you know, add up all the practices. And we started way back in July. So, you know what? You know, whatever you put into something, you're going to get back out of it. That's, that's what I'm a true believer. But one of the hockey mottos um, that I always use with coaching is, and, and I love this line, is don't wait for it to happen, make it happen. And that's the way I sort of coach. I like to coach aggressive style of hockey. And I think in life, you can relate to that too as well, is, is if I had never messaged or emailed Daryl Woodley and I, and I waited for him to give me a, a job, well, that wasn't going to happen. But had I not messaged him, I wouldn't be in the position that I'm in now. And, you know, and the same, you know, going forward and maybe hoping to get a job in the NHL one of these years. Um, you know, I, I don't think there's, you know, maybe an opportunity just falls on my lap. Um, the odds are it's probably not going to happen. So I know that I've one got to go out and work for it, but I also got to make it happen. You know, yeah. and I, I'm not going to wait around for it to happen. I got to continue to make it happen. And, and that can even relate into um, my skills and growing my skills. I'm not going to sit back. I'm, I'm going to go out there and try to learn and try to improve my skills. So, you know, don't wait for it to happen, make it happen. That's probably the best advice I could give somebody. That's great advice. And I think for anybody listening, that's a, a great piece of advice to live by. You know, you got to make your own opportunities. And uh, if you do it the right way and, and show the work and, and put in the hard work and you play those 90 games plus practices and, and do whatever you 
uh, are passionate about, you'll succeed. James, I just want to thank you for taking some time to come on the podcast. Um, I wish you all the success moving forward, and hopefully we'll be back in the rinks shortly and uh, continuing to do what you love. I appreciate it, Ryan. Thank you for having me. All right. Thanks a lot. Take care. You too. I'd like to thank James for taking some time to join me on the podcast and talk about his career to date. He displays a relatable passion for the game and has shown success thus far in his career, which listeners can learn a lot from. So once again, I'd like to thank him for sharing his story. If you would like to get in touch with James to discuss his experiences, I encourage you to reach out to him directly or contact Hockey Minds Podcast at Outlook.com and I can look to make that connection for you. On the next episode, I'll be joined by Jack Hahn, former assistant coach with the Toronto Marlies. Jack, as many people know, has a very unique view on the game and with a respectable and innovative way of presenting his ideas, listeners can learn a lot from his career to date. So stay tuned for that release. As always, thank you for the support. Thank you for the interaction. Stay safe and all the best.